So today we're going to be continuing our study in the book of Acts and we're going to pick up the narrative of the story. Um, last week we took a little diversion, an important one because it's going to have a lot of significance to what we're going to talk about today. And that diversion was about what we just participated in. We looked at what it means when Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And we considered there's a new covenant, there's an old covenant, what's the difference? And why was a new covenant required? And we were reminded that Christ fulfilled the requirements of the law for us. All we have to do is simply put faith in what he did for us on the cross. There would be no more sacrificial system with the killing of animals related to our sin and our trespasses. There would be no more priest required. Someone who would go in between us and God for us. And there would be no more separation between us and God. We could enter into his presence freely. So today's narrative is sort of a natural consequence of this idea of the new covenant. It has to do with the end of the laws related to ritual purity. This is going to be weird <coughs> stuff. Folks from Alberta. <laughs> Sorry. We just study the word here. <laughs> Some of the word is tough. Ritual purity. Look at this. Look at look, look at this passage in the law that was given to Moses. <laughs> Speaking to Israel. This is God. You are the children of the Lord your God. For you are people holy to the Lord your God. Out of all peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured, treasured possession. Now, does that mean that God loved Israel more than he loved the non-Israelites? No, God loves everyone equally. But in his plan of redemption, in his addressing the issue we created by sinning, he decided to start with one family, Abraham's family, which eventually became known as Israel. Your treasured possession. And then he says, do not eat any detestable thing. <laughs> well, that's weird. <laughs> do not eat any detestable thing. I mean, you know, oh, I'm special. Don't eat that stuff. You see, ritual purity in the law is an interesting thing. And we need to understand this, even though it seems so divorced from our world. We're going to bring it home. We're going to bring it close to home by the end of this. God set a wide range of activities in his law that if a person engaged in them or happened to fall into them, uh, that person would become unclean. Ooh, we don't like to hear that language. But that person would become 
unclean, and they would be prohibited from sort of engaging in the, the natural day-to-day -day life of the people of Israel until something was done to restore their cleanliness. You'll be surprised at what some of those things are. One of them was eating certain foods. That's what this thing is, don't eat any detestable thing. Having a baby made you unclean. A bodily discharge, <laughs> don't even think about it. <laughs> Getting certain skin diseases made you unclean. Touching a dead person or a dead animal made you unclean. Having sex made you unclean. So when a person became unclean, there, there would be a process prescribed or steps that had to be taken that usually involved a little passage of time, sometimes some washing, sometimes some uh, sacrifices, sometimes a meeting with the priest. You really should read Leviticus. It's not one of the books of the Bible you're going to read too much, but check out the role. I mean, if you had a job description, if you had given me a job description when I arrived, I'm not sure I did get one, but anyway. <laughs> if you would given me a job description that included the stuff that the priest had to do, I would never have come here. <laughs> because the priest was not just the guy who, who sort of taught, but he also was sort of like the doc. The doctor, you had to go to him to make sure that uh, your disease, which made you unclean, was cleaned up before you could be reinstituted into the day-to-day -day life of Israel. It's interesting stuff to read what the priest used to do. So once a person went through the process, took the steps, they would be reinstituted. I just want to read a little, a quick, here's, here's an example from Leviticus 12. Not, I'm not putting it on the overhead. It's too disturbing. So we'll just, uh, it's not that disturbing. But it's weird. Here we go. I'm just going to read five verses. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, a woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days just as she is unclean during her monthly period. On the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. Then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. She must not touch anything sacred or go to the sanctuary until the days of her purification are over. If she gives birth to a daughter, for two weeks the woman will be unclean. What's with that, eh? <laughs> Guys, this is a, week, a baby girl two weeks. If she gives birth to a daughter for two weeks, the woman will be unclean as during her period. Then she must wait 66 days to be purified from her bleeding. That's in there. I'm not, not there. It's there. I read it. I'm not making this stuff up. We have to be really super clear here. Becoming unclean was not a sin. Of course not. Like having sex was something God created. It's a gift to, to humanity. Obviously it's not a sin. But you could become you would become unclean for a wee bit of time. Now there's 
I'll just point this out because it really needs explaining. You guys are saying, oh. Do you know why that's probably there? Because all the nations around Israel had shrine prostitutes and worship included having sex with a prostitute. So sex <laughs> was separated in the sense of worship wasn't supposed to get mixed up in that. You see? This is just really good reasoning for this stuff that we think now is really bizarre. But anyways, I digress. And you're saying, please, get off the digression. It's too weird. Anyways, so, we got to be clear. It's not a sin when you become unclean. So for the Israelites, it wasn't a sin if they become unclean. But they had to do something about it. And this is the bottom line about it. It seems that God, and we, we don't understand God, Fully, obviously. But it seems that God was really making a point about being separate, being holy. He wanted his people to be unique. He wanted them to be different. He wanted to set a very high standard for them. And so in a very pagan and barbaric environment in which they live, God tried to carve out a people who would be unique, clean. All right. So that's the background you need for the two weird visions. All right. So here's two weird visions. The first one is a vision that a guy called Cornelius had. So we're now into Acts 10. This is the Acts narrative we've come to. That was all the background to help us understand. Cornelius, he was a centurion, which means that he would have been a Roman soldier who was in charge of, who had authority over 100 soldiers. So he was a man of authority. Probably got there because he was well respected and had done some uh, acts of valor and uh, bravery. But this centurion was unique because he was very godly. And he did all kinds of acts of charity. And he had a vital prayer life. I can't explain that. <laughs> I can't explain that other than God hears his prayers. And he says, Cornelius, I want you to send some of your people from where you are, which is in Caesarea, and I'm going to send them, I want you to send them down to Joppa, which is another, uh, on, on the Mediterranean, just another seaport. I want you to send those guys down there, and I want you to send them to Simon the Tanner's house. Because at Simon the Tanner's house, there's this guy, Simon, also, you know, you can call him Peter. And I want you to, to bring him back here, because there's something I want you to to learn from him. So Cornelius had this vision. It was an angel that told him to send these folks down to Joppa to retreat Peter. That happened around uh, 3 o'clock on one day. The next day at noon, 
You read this in Acts 10. The next day at noon, Peter, who is staying with guests in Joppa, decides to go up to the roof. Where the, it wasn't like our roofs, but they were flat roofs. You'd go up there and hang out. Up on the roof. Just take your mind. Anyways. And uh, you could go there and, and have you know quiet time. And so he went up there to pray. And while he was in a prayer, he, he was really hungry. <laughs> it was around noon, you know. He's like, I'm hungry. And so he had, uh, he had a vision. And this vision was really bizarre. Because in this vision, while he's laying down there on the roof, praying, kind of having a trance, this sheet comes down out of heaven. And on it is all these animals. Some of these animals were animals that the law had said you could eat and stay clean. Others were animals that if you ate them, you were unclean. And so God said to Peter, get up and eat. Peter was a good Jewish boy. And he says, no, wait a minute. God, I, I have never eaten unclean food. Never eaten anything from that list of animals that you just weren't supposed to eat because it was in God's law. It was part of that purity thing. And then God said something powerful. He says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. In those words, there was a seismic shift in the Christian's understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Happened three times that vision. Peter got up. When the guys finally arrived, Cornelius had sent three, two servants and a, another devout soldier of his under his church. He went downstairs and they reported that Cornelius had been met by an angel of the Lord. We've, we've been sent to this place, Simon the Tanners, and we're here to get Peter and take him with us. And it says in Scripture that while Peter was still thinking about that weird vision that he had, you know, he met these three people that had come from Caesarea. This is how the story kind of comes to closure. Let's read it. I'll put the words up on the screen for you. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up and said, Stand up, I'm only a man myself. And when talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Isn't that interesting? Just, just, just let me back up a little bit. You're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. If you want to get really technical, that really wasn't one of the laws that was part of this purity thing. 
But there were a lot of laws about not doing business with the Gentiles. Gentiles are people that aren't Jews. There was a lot of restrictions in relationships with Gentiles, certainly never to marry a Gentile. Um, and so, as we've said before, um, the, the Jewish, Jewish leaders, the elders, they would put a hedge of rules around the rule, the main rule. And so if the main rule was that you weren't supposed to marry uh, a Gentile, uh, they built all these other rules called the, the they called them the, the tradition of the elders, that made that near impossible. And one of them was you don't associate with Gentiles. Okay? So, so basically, if, if you're grabbing my drift here, the, the not associating with Gentiles was at an add-on to a principle of being very separate from Gentiles. Okay? And then he says, But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Well, but that wasn't part of the vision. The vision was about animals and the sheep that he wasn't supposed to eat. But get this. If he had begun to eat those unclean animals under the old covenant, he would have been not have been any different than a Gentile. Because the Gentiles had no rules like that, and they would eat that stuff. You see, so the, the laws of purity were closely related to the differences between Jews and Gentiles. Back to the idea, God is trying to create a unique and holy separate people that are under his authority and live good, healthy, and righteous lives. So, Peter translate, translates the vision of the animals that he's supposed to eat, which he would never have eaten unless God made them clean again, which he did. Peter translates that into... I can hang out with Gentiles. The Gentiles aren't out of bounds anymore. I can relate to them. You see the seismic shift that's going on here? Do you see the, the how profound this is, what's going on here? So, when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection, and may I ask, may I ask why you sent for me? And then Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now we are here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth and the Holy Spirit power, and how he went around doing good and hearing all healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. 
They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God had appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. See, this is huge. This is the breaking down now of the barrier that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. This is now stage two, if you will, of God's plan of redemption. The old covenant was so necessary through the Jews, but now it's an opening up. It's an inclusion to everyone. Don't get me wrong. In the old covenant, there were people who were Gentiles that came to know the one true God. They were called proselytes, but, but it was an exception to the rule, not the rule. Now the rule is that the gospel is for everyone. There is nothing that's going to get in the way. There are no, uh, there are no sacrifices required anymore. There's no priest required anymore. And now the things that separated the Jews from the Gentiles in their lifestyle have been removed. So that everyone has free access to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's just pause for a moment and consider what this all means. The sacrificial system ended with one perfect and fully sufficient sacrifice. That was Jesus Christ. That was what we just remembered. But why were the purification rites no longer binding? Why this? Why are we getting now away from the purification rituals and those rules and regulations? What's the point here? You see, in the Old Covenant, part of remaining holy or set apart, being unique, was the effort one put into remaining clean. But in the New Covenant, in Christ, the symbolism of that purification, of staying clean, was realized in a far more profound and significant way. No longer was it just a superficial thing that had to do with skin diseases or bodily functions or, or anything like that. Now cleanliness was a spiritual cleansiness, cleanliness, a spiritual rightness, a, a spiritual purity. And it too was once and for all. You get that? That too was once and for all in Christ. Check this out. John is having a vision of the end of the age. 
He sees God on his throne. And before him is a sea of people in white, perfectly white gowns. And one of the elders says to him, rhetorically, says to him, who are all these people in white robes? And Peter says, you know. And the elders said these, this, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Isn't that cool? They've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and their clothing has been white. They have been made pure. They have been made clean. They have been made perfect before a holy God. You see, for Christians, a far more foundational purification rite, other than washing and seeing the priest and spending time outside of the camp and all that stuff that had to be done to make things right and keep clean, a far greater purification rite has been performed that makes us holy and makes us clean and makes us pure and makes us perfect before a holy God. And that is being washed in the blood of Christ. Now, we need to know this. You need to know your faith. You need to know what you believe. You, you need to know the Bible. So you need to know this. It's there. It's important to know. But far more importantly, I'm going to speak to some of you in this congregation. And I say this with all respect. And I say it with great compassion. But you need to hear these words, people. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Did you hear that? Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. There are many of us, myself included, who struggle with guilt, who struggle with shame, who struggle with poor self-concept, who feel unlovable. And this is not because of something we have done in some instances it is. It's something we've done. And we just can't shake the guilt. We can't shake, shake the, 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 the feeling of remorse. We can't shake the shame of it. But sometimes those things were forced on us. And ever since those despicable things have happened to us, we have felt shame. And we have felt guilt. We felt lesser than. You need to hear these words. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Don't. The verdict is in. You're clean. You're clean. No one stands out the outside the grace of God. 
If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are clean. One day you will stand before the throne of God in a white robe, spotless robe. You've been declared clean. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for how you have worked wonderfully throughout history, bringing about an acceptance and a love and a grace that exceeds anything in this world. You've done everything possible to bring us into a loving, caring relationship with you. Lord, help us to trust in this. In Jesus' name.